0: let's come scope out our system yeah and we are live which is cool because we're total rookies but um all right hello everybody up for success short hiatus took the family to disney world um and we're back and we're here with tom griffith uh we were just talking about fishing the kenai yeah and uh your buddy now are you fly fishing or gear fishing or both this was gear fishing, was gear kenai. fishing. yeah so i i love to fish
1: i don't hunt much considering our surroundings i'm not a hunter but I enjoy fishing, but I appreciate
0: um, what has gone into this collection of animals and mounts. Um, I really want to fish Alaska really bad. There's a. I'm trying to remember the name of the river that my buddies go to every year, uh, Nishiak.
1: Mm, further uh, down, Peninsula?
0: Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. And it's, I guess it's similar, like the Columbia River as far as size, mm. but they catch 50, 60 fish a day. Uh, during the season they always go over 4th of July which makes it hard to go but.
1: yeah yeah well I you know in the furthering of the conversation we were having about fishing you know I went uh, just happened to be that um, the Kenai by our standards here in the west is actually a fairly short river I was really surprised that it's not any bigger it's it's very wide a lot of volume but it's just not a real long river so um, most of the fish that you may catch are usually in on the current tide so um, we didn't catch any big fish the days that we were on it and you know as I was telling you about my friend who lives locally right on the river his of course the news I got is the day after I left his 59 pound daughter boated a 60 pound fish so <laughs> you know I, we caught some we caught some kings very fresh very nice fish but not big you know so 15 18 pounders
0: very tide dependent yeah very much so and are there swings do you fish buoy tin here and fish the mouth here I've much? been out
1: uh, I'm not fish buoy tin here I've been out um, tuna fishing out that way, so I've never fished really ten.
0: I always wondered if the tide swings are similar. Do you know, living in Alaska, the tide swings are similar than here, you know, like a four-hour window, mm-hmm. and is it on the incoming tide that's good there? Correct. Uh, do you have any idea why that is? I've heard different theories for why the bite turns on on incoming or outgoing or the transition.
1: I would tell you, for me, uh, any type of saltwater fishery, I am not qualified to comment. You know, I, uh, <laughs> I uh, haven't done it enough. I, I'm not sophisticated enough. I have, uh, you know, all my life I've dabbled at fishing, I would say, just enough to figure out uh, that I don't know nearly enough. When you meet the guys that should say the people who are, let's just say fishermen, I realize that I'm a hobbyist. <laughs> so uh, I do love to fish. I think, uh, you know, fly fishing, you mentioned that mm-hmm. what a great place that we live for fly fishing. So Absolutely. uh, uh I know that for some people they like to travel the world for fly fishing but i feel like oh my goodness i mean we have unbelievable fly fishing people within.
0: travel from all over the yeah. world to, to fly fish here and salmon fish mm-hmm. here um well we can change that really easily we'll have to get you out there's still some good fall fishing but if you ever want to go salmon fishing just give me a call okay well for the record i want to go okay <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe next week we'll see um but we, we, uh, right now, Bowie Ten's hot, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, I think they closed it. I think it's closed. But uh, we had a great Bowie 10 season. So yesterday was awesome. Um, yesterday was fun, wasn't it?
2: We, we, let's, let, let's introduce our guests that's properly. All, I'm getting there. Okay, okay, just making uh, sure.
0: Normally what we do, Tom, is uh, I say a few things I think you are, then you fill in where I'm sure. wrong or, or correct. And we've known each other since 2011, 12, I think. I would say so. And uh, I was thinking about this on the way here, that I, I don't know a whole lot. Um, so, uh, father. Father. Uh, two daughters.
1: One daughter, one son.
0: Well, see? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, former originator, top producer in the mortgage realm. Correct. Um, and then at some point you changed gears to motivational speaking, coaching, personal development, and... Um, Speaking is that is that correct? Teaching, training, uh, and coaching, CRM teaching. is the other. Is the Technology other was a part of that. Yes. Uh, what what am I missing? Well,
1: you know, in the bigger picture, I guess professionally, there's a lot of that. Um, I've I've hustled my living for a long time. Uh, if people were to say, especially looking at me now, there's like, gee, Tom, tell us something that we would find amazing. Take one to a black belt. Most people don't realize that. Um, you now yesterday you called it TKD. TKD which is just the three letter abbreviation of, t- of Taekwondo. Okay, gotcha. So, um, so yes, TKD would uh, probably, I think any, I probably shouldn't out of respect, but TKD just is the abbreviation uh, for Taekwondo. So that was a process that was really important to me. That was actually a 40 year bucket list. Um, I, the other part of that is uh, that most people don't realize for me, um, being a dad's a big deal, um, husband's a big deal, I feel like, uh, probably like everybody, I'm processing, trying to figure that out. Musician, recovering. I don't actively participate, but that was a big part of my life as well. Music matters to me. I believe that um, uh, fundamentally, rhythm and harmony transcend human understanding. So to me, it blows me away all the time, and uh, uh, I would say uh, that I'm an ensemble musician. Um, Harmony matters, not soloing. Um, I'm actually moved by music the most when the band says, that was amazing, as opposed to the audience saying, that was amazing. But in any ensemble, whether it's vocal or uh, wind ensemble, orchestral ensemble, there's always that time, Cody, when the, even in rehearsal, actually, I've always found this more in rehearsal than in performance, but there's a time when the band says, that was awesome. You know, that
2: everybody, so that's a part of my life. Say
0: today. that again, because I'm a huge music fan too you just
2: you just blew cody's mind he's wearing he he wears a music shirt every podcast i love that
0: this is the new nine inch nails album cover
1: little nine inch nails
0: so but you said music
1: trans rhythm and harmony transcend human understanding
0: so explain that
1: across language barrier across culture if i was to create a beat you could sense that beat and you could be a part of that beat and through so rhythm transcends language barriers, etc It's innate. I would say that rhythm is a part of life. So that to me is why in everything, rhythm is actually vocabulary. Rhythm is a capitalized word that we have to recognize Ribbon, rhythm. Um, harmony is actually the presence of two or more different frequencies, but they can come together again, not in the same language. We don't, if we were to say, well, I have to know your language in order to make music with you. Um, that's just not true, right? Because we could make sound Mm -hmm. or even other sine wave type behaviors that we could harmonize meaning where we come together and actually create an overtone or more sound so uh, without you know making it a really big deal i just feel like music is the one place that we could literally meet up of two different cultures in a third party area and immediately get each other
0: yeah it totally makes sense to me and you talk about being a father is important to you. And, and Ryan and I both have kids. I have a five-year-old girl. And it's funny because at six months, you could put on a song. Right. And they would start bouncing to that beat. So you're... Right. Uh, Where does that come yeah, from, where's right? that come from?
1: Is that a learned behavior? No way. No way. No. But maybe the
0: harmony. I don't know because lullabies and everything. I don't know. I wonder if harmony is a learned behavior mm-hmm. or not, but...
1: I, um, you know, for me, I, I love the opportunity to, again, say, I don't know anything, but it's been a big part of my life all my life. And and I almost, you know, I believe harmony is not necessarily a learned behavior. Maybe the recognition of harmony versus dissonance, I guess. So if you were to say to recognize harmony, you also have to recognize dissonance. So it exists in the ripples of our environment. You know, if you are on the wind, in the water, um, everywhere there will be a ripple or that sine wave pattern Mm -hmm. of a frequency that you recognize and will either match or move towards and we, meaning we'll hear a tone or see a ripple and maybe it's a long, long ripple but we can have faster ripples in between that augment that or uh, I didn't think I'd be talking about this today, Cody, but that's <laughs> to right. me is the, uh, uh, so much of our experience is actually a rhythmic and harmonic experience that yeah. uh, mo- just even as three guys sitting here, we're probably never gonna be on the same exact frequency because that'd be weird, but we'll harmonize. And if we don't do well together, that's dissonant. And so...
0: So with using that, <clears throat> using that analogy, do you think that's something that people can work on or adapt to that frequency quicker in certain situations? Like in this situation, right? Um, I already feel like we're getting a good rhythm and a good harmony down. Um, is that something that you can improve on recognizing
1: I believe so and I believe as a in anything we have to realize that everything has a heartbeat you know the uh, the uh, the essence of life as we understand it at least physically and even in, in in other things there's a heartbeat and so part of even of the getting together and doing well together is to recognize that whether it's energy whatever there's a heartbeat and we have to start to match and you know and even as I sit here and talk about this we could find this little rhythm that we'd all start saying okay I get that. And I think we do have to recognize in human interaction, every relationship has a heartbeat and we have to be cognizant. And we, I, we actually are cognizant at a very deep level. We're aware of frequency, rhythm, harmony, dissonance.
2: When you're speaking, can, can you, for example, if you're sitting across one from one, you can tell how the conversation's going. Mm-hmm. When you're up speaking in front of hundreds or thousands of people do you feel that and as you're feeling it can you can you kind of try to change it if it if it doesn't feel yeah can you feel
0: that harmony when you're uh, the one person speaking absolutely
1: so for me i and i can only speak for me but i feel like as the i love the question ryan but for me as a as the speaker my primary job is actually to manage the energy of the room it's not my words it's not it's not the script, it's not the clock, it's the management of the energy of the room. And and for me, it's very tactile. And even, you know, as I touch myself, see, I'm not doing this, it's not logical. It's very internal, it's a gut level, it's a heart issue, you sense it internally. So I do notice in every iteration of a presentation, whether it's one-on-one, one to a couple, one to a giant room, then to me, I'm I'm always aware of the energy that's present.
0: So you know the it's scientifically proven that the human brain can't multitask right mm-hmm. so when you're on stage when you're focused on that is that distracting from giving your presentation that you have memorized
1: so the um i would say for me um that is a um so i guess let me let me back up and say my when i go on stage or when i speak that is not necessarily, while it's an element I'm extremely comfortable in, it's not my native element, meaning it's not my baseline personality. I am actually an introvert. I recover in private. I'm very comfortable in a quiet, alone type of environment. And so usually everything when I'm speaking is not that. So that's a character. Um, that's That's a presenter mindset. So I have waypoints in the presentation. I'm always trying to keep track of generally, what am I trying to do? I do start with a thematic overview. I do have, um, every time I step on stage, I have someplace I think we're going. And sometimes, Cody, that will change. And sometimes it doesn't. I mean, sometimes we go through, because, well, 999 times out of 1,000, that's what people are there for if you've presented it correctly. That's what they're there for. We follow a path. But I'm always course correcting. and so. You know, when you say, does that get in the way or does that cause a problem with your presentation, I feel like for me, there are just chunks of what I want to cover. And as a matter of fact, even yesterday, I didn't cover a portion of the chunk because it just wasn't the right timing and, and I moved through it. I've never had one person come up to me as a result of yesterday's presentation, or I should say, I've not had anybody come to me and say, hey man, we missed that chunk. Yeah. But for me, it was just "Mm, not right now. And so, um... Uh, that's the way I tend to present. It doesn't distract from me at all as long as I feel like I have general chunks of what I'm going to say. Now for me, at this point in my life, um, in, in the mix, I could come up with a few chunks even if it was on the spur of the moment. If I happened to be sitting in the audience and somebody said, we lost our speaker, can you do an hour? Sure. But that's only because I've done that. right? Mm-hmm. If it was the first time, it would be like, well, what would I say? So. You know, that's, that's why I guess I'm not as distracted at this point.
0: Well, and I would imagine that, like uh, Taekwondo, the more you, you uh, belt up, is that the right term? Yeah, whether you advance. Yeah, you're your just belt, belt level. level. Rank advance, sure. Recognizing the harmony in the room, mm. probably the higher belt level you are, the more it takes place in your subconscious or in that limbic, limbic system. It'd be in that 90%. I'm just learning about the limbic system. Thanks to Nick Batty, oh. but but it's kind of operating in the background, right? It, it might. Would Some ancient structure, that? Yeah. right?
1: Some of the ones. Why do we do certain things? Well, that's you're discovering part of the answer. Our brain is actually very old and does things in our subconscious level that we're not aware of.
0: But it sounds like it's something that you've you've thought about and worked on mm-hmm. is, is uh, managing that harmony in your conversations and in the room and and bringing that on stage with you. So, I
1: okay. would say. Um, the answer is yes, and I just think it's, uh, here's an anecdote for you that I learned at least in, uh, you know, I learned my teaching master was a Korean master, so we had a chance to appreciate their perspective, and I would tell you the language In, in Taekwondo? In Taekwondo, yeah, so that, um, um, and a, you know, an incredible human, an incredible athlete, an incredible martial artist. Um, but what I learned in that process, so a component of your advancement in Taekwondo anyway, and other martial arts are different, but a component of that is sparring, meaning you know, you and I are going to spar together. And if I say sparring, typically in our culture, we think that means we're going to fight in a certain way. Um, and so that comes with a, your limbic system then tells you something immediately, right? Your body changes, we're going to fight. Yet in Korean, sparring, the word most similar is harmony because you can't learn You're dancing. without a partner. That's it exactly. There's no way to learn to spar by yourself. So the notion in Korean and in Taekwondo sparring, it's a dance, it's harmony. With you, we learn. And that was powerful for me um, because it's the goal of sparring is not, I'll conquer you. Different than Olympic competition, you know, that's, there's a clear winner and a clear, there's a battle taking place. And this is a martial art, meaning this is a a combat type of performance. But if you think about it, sparring is nothing more than we're working together to both get better, and we can't do that alone. And I just, you know, harmony transcends human understanding once you start to really push into the issue.
0: Well, and everyone I talk to feels like, as a society, we're losing our skill of conversation, Mm -hmm. right? And that's really what conversation is. It's sparring. And mm-hmm. we talk about this a lot on the podcast now that if you sit in a bar and listen to other people talk, it's just two people talking about themselves and they're not listening and they're not having that conversation like we are right now. And so I just got the full of my coach and, uh, doing this podcast, I've kind of redefined what personal, uh, but what uh, work life balance means to me. Mm-hmm. And I love your analogy or how you equate to Taekwondo affecting, how you manage your harmony and everything and conversations with people, and especially the speaking, because uh, this podcast is not about self-promotion. It's not about what we do for a career. It's, we're doing it just for fun and, and to learn and sit down with people like yourself. People have had a lot of success in one form or another. But doing this has improved my conversation skills and my selling skills mm-hmm. and my listening skills and directly affected work. And so I really like that Taekwondo sparring analogy and then talking about how that affects your harmony in your, in your skill level when you're speaking or when you're in a group setting like this. Mm-hmm. So,
2: Did you feel like uh, as you were going through your, your 40 years of you know, Taekwondo that that was... Just
1: to be clear, Ryan, I only, I didn't, it took me 40 years to realize it. I didn't do it for 40 years. Oh,
2: okay. No, okay, it, okay. it
1: was on my list for 40 years. So how black how belt. long did it actually take you to? Well, the process to, of black belt took three and a half years.
2: That's impressive. That seems that seems that quick. That seems really quick.
1: Um, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so, <laughs> Interesting perspective, right? Uh, so
2: so let me so during that three and a half years, was was that goal also essential in helping keeping you on track for your other work goals, family goals, life goals?
1: Yeah, so uh, I would share with you a profound learning that I had um, in the evolution of Black Belt. And, um, and I think this is actually one of those things that matters more than ever because we're talking about most martial arts are thousands of years old. And um, so here's what I learned. In the American way, we're brought in by these, in this case, let's just say in Taekwondo because that's my only area of direct experience. But in Taekwondo, the sport is Korean. It's the Korean national sport. Um, And they have done a great job of taking a alien philosophy, just meaning it's not American, it's not our culture, it's not quick and fast. They've done a great job of creating this process where they Americanize it, meaning you start up, you agree, you join. The goal is black belt, and we have these evolutions through belts and it's very structured, and it's very orderly, and you're told all along that the goal is black belt, that the goal is black belt. And so you're conditioned to believe we have to have a direction and a path, and we're conditioned to believe that that's the goal, we're gonna to get to black belt. And along the way, at least, and, and by the way, very few adults participate in Taekwondo in the way that I did. It's all, It's populated by young kids, you know, because parents these days are freaked out and stressed out, and they need, something to do with their children, so they enroll them in Taekwondo. Um, but I believe, as I watched what's happening, and as I listened as best I could through a little bit of a language barrier with these Korean masters, that I started to realize there's a much, much bigger deal that's going on here. There's, there's something much, much larger that's going on. Black Belt, I don't think, is actually it. And, and then it was revealed to me uh, right at the black belt ceremony um, by a... Uh, uh, that, uh, and I, I would say this, the revelation was that you are now ready to learn. And the uh, black belt is nothing more than, okay, now you're ready to learn. That the three and a half years of evolution through, you know, white belt where you know nothing, through everything you think you know, gets you through the remedial education that you now know that just the foundations. You now know ABC one, two, three. Yeah, it's that like
2: learning how to read and now you can correct. go on to chapter books and... Because the
1: expectation is, you're sold that you will arrive at Black Belt. And when you arrive at Black Belt, the, what I would say, the, well, not I would say, as you evolve through Black Belt as well, there comes a, a place where your title changes, your title changes to master. And, and that very much resonates with me because mastery is also vocabulary. But I realized coming from these masters and even grandmasters, because it's seventh degree, your title changes again, grandmaster. So masters teach black belts. Grandmasters teach masters. But what I heard that really set me free in the understanding was a seventh-degree master, grandmaster, says to us, as we're sitting on the floor in the proper posture with our brand-new black belts, we wear the same belt. Your belt and my belt are now the same. And even though, you know, literally we would say, no, not not worthy, um, the path and the process and the time it took between first-degree black belt and seventh-degree black belt is an enormous path enormous amount of time goes by. By the way, that time, just so that everybody can appreciate it, took three and a half years to be a black belt. Your second degree minimum requirement is it takes two years to the next degree. Third degree takes three years. Fourth degree takes four years. Fifth degree, five, and so on. So On top
0: of the previous.
1: On top of all the others. So if you were to say master, fourth degree, that's 12 years of education for you to be considered a master. And what that means in Taekwondo a black belt is not qualified to teach without a master. You can only teach at the, at the pleasure and benefit of the master. You have to have a master in the dojang, the person who is responsible. Um, but once you reach fourth degree, you become, you're become you recognized as you now have mastered, and now it's evolution. right? So, but that whole thing to me really blew me away when I realized, oh, so for three and a half years, the goal was black belt, but now with black belt, I'm showing up to school for the first day because now I know ABC 123. When the master issues a command, my responsibility is I should know how to do that. You know, that's what it's, whether it's a kicking technique or self-defense or hands technique, that's really all black belt is, is you can do the rudiments.
0: So where did that, where did you go from there? So you got your black belt, you have this new understanding. Were you, did you find? Did you feel yourself at a crossroads? Of, I, did. I I hit my goal, and now I'm going to back down and away. Or did I go? Or did you go? Okay, I need to hit uh, level four. Yeah. So I have 12 years to go.
1: Right. So it and it was an enormous crossroads for me because the personal, you know, I didn't I didn't grow up an athlete, and I'm awkward, and I'm old, and you know, I started this process 50. I started at 50. And I did it with my boy by the way. My son and I did this entire educ or of uh, this education and path together, which to me is the greatest achievement of all of it. So my boy and I started on day 1 together and we got a we were awarded a black belt on the same day. And oh, awesome. for me oh, that's really awesome. it's uh, that was actually the penultimate um, I did find myself have another experience at almost 54 years of age going, wow, I thought I was climbing the mountain. And I thought the view would be different and I'm just going back to school. So where I, what I meant by that is my, I didn't grow up as a well-trained athlete. So my body rebelled through this entire deal. Um, through all, taekwondo is a young man sport um, and it is a contact sport. And it is very much a low body sport. Um, it's a low body martial art, meaning the preponderance of what you do or the bulk of what you do is designed to be low body because you have so much more power than any hands technique. But in that process for me, a couple of shoulder surgeries, a torn meniscus. So I'm you know, I'm three surgeries in trying to manage my physical self, which is not just you know, that it's just my package and I, I really started out Harshing on myself, saying, you should do better, do more push-ups, you know, whatever, whatever it is. And, uh, and it was very, very difficult for me. So I also, at Black Belt, I had this crossroads of what I was doing professionally was potentially changing. Um, what I was doing personally was potentially changing. And I also knew at 54 plus, and I had watched three Black Belts come back after an extended layoff, come to class with me, and all three of them still have the mindset and the muscle memory of where they were and all three of them destroy themselves in one class where they literally, I mean, you tear a hamstring, you uh, sprain yourself severely, those kinds of things where your body's just not able to come back. So I realized I was down to being on the road more, which meant I could go to class maybe two times a week and I knew with full clarity in my own mind, I will end up Back with my orthopedic surgeon, who I no longer want to be on a first-name basis with, uh, or in some way <clears throat> healing because I'm torn up again, and because uh, it's it's a combat sport and you get hurt, so and I don't want to hurt anymore.
0: <laughs> how long ago was that?
1: That was a year ago, a
0: little bit over a year ago. And are uh, are did you instantly become at peace with that decision?
1: No, I'm still struggling with it, and I'm and I'm still struggling with uh, you know in different towns. Um, here's a, one of those things that's really. Amazing to me is um, you know out of the region. I went to go find another teacher And I loved my teacher and my grandmaster and we had a seventh couple of seventh-degree grandmasters Well in Puget Sound region. I found an eighth-degree grandmaster and by the way the, the story is uh, it, it will go to nine, but in order to be awarded in nine Well, there are no tens and most ninth-degree black belts are dead, you know so it's this man's an eighth-degree black belt and uh, I went in and had some chat and let's do some class. And, uh, and I always love the amazing nature of these guys. But just looking on him, he is, he's not all put together. His uniform's sloppy. He looks like, you know, he's got a hamburger belly. Looks like he should have a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. And you just, you know, you end up going, eighth degree? Until you see him move. And then you realize, oh, So, an interesting story, my Korean master, when I was still going to class, I said, I found this master, eighth degree, and my, you know, Korean-born and educated man, he just went, oh, eighth degree, I I could not even look on him out of respect, right? He was like, I cannot look him in the eye. If you, this is a fourth degree world champion, toured representing the country of Korea for five years, right? He was chosen at that level to represent the country, and he literally says, "I, I cannot look Upon that master. Wow! And I feel like that's something in our society that we don't have that reverence anymore. Of this is an eighth degree black belt in Taekwondo, meaning in in that realm, this is a master, um, and and there is a great deal of reverence and even very specific language in Korean and within Taekwondo, but in the Korean language of how you would recognize that person's mastery that I am not worthy to look upon you. And I feel like in America we have this posture that says, no, I can do anything, I'm free, I have um, constitutional right and all that stuff, and just because we do doesn't mean we should. And so I went to class for a few times with the eighth degree, and and, I just realized this teacher teaches faster than my class, my master taught. And I really struggled. You know, it was, and there was also no communication. The group wasn't taught how to be harmonic together. There was just a, you had to be there in order to get it. And I realized it was very difficult for me to catch up. And it just wasn't the right deal for me. So I'm still really struggling with I have a black belt, that's forever, but that doesn't mean I'm worthy to step on the mat right now and perform at that level. and I'm, to answer your question of five minutes ago, I still regret it, and I still want to be doing it, but I've got to find a way to balance it, and, I, and I've got to figure out how not to hurt. Because as I'm talking to you about it, I'm touching my hips. Yeah. Dude, my hips were killing me for the last year and a half of the positions that I have to put myself in.
0: Can you replace Taekwondo with something else to get that same satisfaction in your personal life?
1: Yeah, I have to. I have to find another way to move um, and, and I'm, I'm looking around at that and in an offline conversation, Ryan and I were talking about that yesterday of just, uh, uh, what is it going to be next? Because I, you know, I, I believe that physical decline is actually a mindset. It's, you know, yes, you have to move. Yes, you have to be active, but you have to have the mindset of saying, I'm simply going to do what I need to do to feel good. And so, um. and and especially the black belt process, there's 12 weeks leading up to the test that has certain physical commitments. Um, I still do some of those. And it's amazing to me how that can still matter.
0: Well, be careful talking with Ryan and I too much because you'll end end up hunting and fishing. Well, and And, I'm okay with that
1: too. (laughs) I mean, if there's a certain tug exercise, that that will work. But you know, I was only talking with Ryan just because for years, We've had a conversation around sometimes you just got to do your push-ups. And, well, he,
0: he was he was uh, bragging pretty hard before you walked in mm. about how uh, – because you guys used, used to coach Ryan, yeah. correct? And uh, he's like, yeah, uh, Todd, uh, Tom coached me, and then I coached him on doing five push-ups a day. He asked me, That's walked
1: good. up to me yesterday, and it's been at least two years or more, maybe yeah. more. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. He just walked up to me, and his first sentence was, did you do your five push-ups? And I was proud to say I did 25, wow. right? So it's just – and that's actually one of those things for me is that I feel like you just have to do your push-ups, and I have taught that to many, many people um, in some of the coaching and teaching presentations. So I and now I feel like I have put that forward enough. I need to do my push-ups.
0: Well, you know, this is always a great time of year as a hunter to to see everyone's hard work, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm not a big game hunter. I do a lot of uh, upland birds and waterfowl mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff, but. Um, Kind of like Taekwondo uh, um, and having something that takes skills that intertwine with business, I really believe big game hunting's like that. Ryan's been working all year, uh, getting ready for his elk hunt and deer hunt, and uh, getting up at four in the morning, doing insane workouts every single day, um, getting all of his gear set up, doing all the research to have the right equipment, Um, having some survival skills to Mm -hmm. be outside, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, navigation skills, going out and scouting. He's got cameras up right now. Is that right, Ryan? Yeah, we just took them down. You found them? No one stole them? no one stole them. Thank goodness. (laughs) Um, And then uh, in a couple weeks here, the work's really going to begin, right? And Mm -hmm. all that preparation for a year. And see, the reason I can't do it is because you're doing all this preparation with not being able to implement it until uh, 12 months from now. Right and so ryan's uh, got that his hunt coming up in a couple weeks and so i love this time of year because all my friends that hunt i can see all this hard work they've done i can see them implement it Mm -hmm. so yeah so be careful because uh the hunting bug is uh, especially now with um bow hunting becoming big and so many options and uh so many ways to do it um yeah be careful yeah i
1: i respect that from you i um i don't have a at least, i can I can honestly tell you I would fish at the drop of a hat, but I just don't um, big game hunting is not something that I'm aspiring to do right now, yeah. you know so but I, I will fish anytime
0: well uh, I'm not committing to hunting big game next year, but I would like to get to a point and I, I've never told Ryan this before that I'm considering uh, committing to getting in shape enough to Uh, hunt alongside not hunt with ryan but go with him Mm -hmm. Uh, at least scout with him you know ryan does these awesome scouts he uh uh, goes on a uh, goat survey um, with a biologist friend of his Mm. uh, for the last couple years and uh uh, not this last year but the year before um up on mount st helens he hiked what nine miles Five oh. miles to camp, and then a couple miles a day, or something.
2: Yeah, no, it was more than that, but I mean, not crazy by any stretch of the imagination, but it was, it was some good hiking.
0: So just getting to the point where I could tag along and help him pack out a, a animal mm-hmm. would be awesome. Mm-hmm. So, um, so making better happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a few questions, uh, but let's start with transitioning from becoming a really successful mortgage advisor. Yeah. Um, running a great practice to transitioning to a different part, mm-hmm. different stage in your career. Mm-hmm. And when did you come up with making better happen? And how did you how did you make that jump?
1: So uh, the the black belt story and I it relates directly to mortgage origination. And um, in the experience of the black belt story of wow, I really thought it would be different from here. The reason that I began to teach and train. And and do outreach, or what I what became making better happen was, uh, 2006 was a year that we set out to climb a mountain, and uh, we thematically began to climb our Everest climb. You know, I've never climbed a mountain, but everything that we could do within the practice uh, was was met, was thematically going to climb. And we did that, and in the end of the year, I looked around, and it looked a lot like my hometown even though we climbed the mountain, right? Metaphorically, you're at the top. I looked around and went, huh, it looks
0: just... And you climbed that mountain during a blizzard because in 2006, everything was starting to fall apart.
1: Yeah, a little bit later in my practice, 2007, we had another great big huge year, but it was... The handwriting was on the wall. Yeah. Um, And so I found myself saying, is that all there is? Um, And there's... um, And by the way, that to me is just... Um, is a memory of my dad. He had a, an album he used to play all the time, I want to say this gal, a torch singer, for people that remember torch music, but that was, the and I think it was Gogi Grant, maybe. Somebody would have to fact check What's me here. What's torch music? Torch music is typically a 40s and 50s um, woman in front of the orchestra singing ballads and, and okay. songs of the heart. Those were torch songs. and um, Meaning a lot of times... Uh, women are carrying torches for men that are overseas and that so that that idea of is that but the song was is that all there is and um, and it maybe even was a little bit later I love that uh, We're gonna get some validation here, too, but I found myself saying is uh, Oh, I love so that. a
0: torch song is a sentimental love song typically one in which the singer laments an unrequired unrequited loss or love, unrequited yes. lost or lost Either one party is oblivious to the existence of the other, where one party has moved on, or where a romantic affair has affected the relationship. Interesting.
1: Yeah, and so um, I heard the words of the lyric, is that all there is, my love? And, and And I looked around and I went, there has to be something. There has to be something more to this, because that was a lot of effort. And we did all these material things in business Um, You know, we we had the transactions and the money and and all that stuff. And I found myself saying, is that all there is? There's got to be more. And I realized as I reflected, and by the way, we just, on inertia, we did it again in 2007 because the team was built. You know, we had now, we understood roles, responsibilities. We had a a unique experience and a unique learning that we...
0: so, I don't mean to interrupt, but yeah. were you producing and managing a, uh, your own company or a branch? Yeah, okay.
1: Yeah, uh, that, was, that was my role. Literally, as a producer, I had nine slots in my calendar in a week. Um, those slots were filled by other people. My job was to meet with people at the place of saying yes, and the practice had evolved to, in order to even be in that slot, there had to be the temperament and the ability to say yes. You know, It was pretty much preconditioned at that point, so we ran that system even through 2007. As I was already starting to engage outwardly, meaning with the community at large and um, some of those people that have even been on your podcast. I mean, back at that time, I worked um, in harmony with Dave Savage and the mortgage oh, coach. What was the TCA now was originally a spreadsheet, and some of the work we did back then. And I would say, um, you know, hat tip to Dave Savage because at that time he said, "Hey Tom, tell us your story," and that became an introduction to other people and and. I began to fill a need that which is the need to teach to help people get from here to here and and I'll get to that but that's that's really what drove me I started out hustling up my own living at age 15 I started really early I worked in essence full-time going to high school it's the reason I didn't go to college Um, I I really enjoyed the development of somebody who says how do I do that how do I get from here to hear in whatever way that is. And so I realized as I was leaving origination, I was moving towards this teaching, training, coaching. And, and I had some extraordinary mentors um, at that time and in the business, Todd Ballinger, Dave Savage, and others. Many, you know, many other people invested in me and they still are influential in the business today. Some of my best relationships today came from that time. But I realized, Cody, that what really turns my crank at that time was somebody engaging with me saying, I think I can do better, and I think you can help me, and that's what really charged me up. I mean, frankly, I didn't need another deal. I didn't didn't need these giant goals in the industry or in sales anymore, because I felt like I'd already done way more than I ever thought I was going to do. The the distilling of that message is I'd already climbed the mountain, but I still wanted to go up the mountain with people that wanted to climb, and I know full well I'm reaching the point where I'm now not going to climb, but I'm going to watch people that I've worked with climb and take others.
0: Okay, I have two questions. All right. One was when you started having this idea, what was your confidence level like? And the second question is from idea to implementation, Mm -hmm. how long was that?
1: So uh, what I learned at that time, first, second question, first answer idea to implementation to me first, it got a lot faster and it was because I learned this process that we, we created a name for it. And I was taught the name of course correction, right? The purpose for action is to course correct. And I believed like most people believe the purpose for action is to win or be right. And that's actually what delays us. We decide that we have to take action in order to be right. But the real purpose for action is for feedback so we can course correct, meaning we deviate. So the purpose for action is to narrow our deviation. And that word that I was taught was the word veritas, which is actually, um, the word exists in a lot of different realms. Um, Veritas is mythological. Um, Veritas, I want to say, is actually in Mythology as the daughter of truth, Hera, potentially. Um, I love it that we'll get the definition, but here's the definition that mattered to me. It's actually Harvard's definition or motto on their crest, their crest, Harvard's crest. By the way, for all your listeners, um, we can save the Harvard education now because this is all it is. Um, and they define it as Veritas um, is the, according, now I, I'm distracted by this, but Harvard's <laughs> definition is their purpose, or they exist, to systematically narrow our deviation from the left and the right, or to the left and to the right, from the star by which we guide that's so delicately reflected on the sea of life," end of quote. So Harvard's purpose is to help you get clear about what you want and then narrow your deviation from where you want to go. And that is a long answer to, I got really quick about idea to execution. Um, I got really quick because all it was is let go of all judgment and all shame and simply take action for feedback and ask, did it move us in the direction we want to go or away from where we want to go? And just course correct, no judgment, no shame. Most people will say, I won or I lost. And there is no win or lose. So part of
0: your motivation of implementing or acting quickly is
2: to improve.
1: Correct. Are we moving in the direction we want to go or not?
2: And this ties in with uh, Doug Mendenhall and what he says is to take risks, exactly. and it takes—you know—he's figured out it takes about five risks until you you get down to, you know. You got your first iteration, your second. He's just talking about course correcting. So By you the do, fifth
0: you, iteration, you should have a success. Correct. His so. message
1: of get to five as fast as possible, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, uh, by the way, another great podcast guest. I noticed he was number one. He was I would one. tell you what a great number one. I love that guy. It was I awesome. mean, I love Doug's message. And I feel like, uh, you know, just uh, Doug and I may have had the same parent. At, you know, at <laughs> the same DNA. Different language, different experience set but he's so good at saying, okay, well, let's you know, iteration, iterate, iterate. So for me, that was how quickly can we get there? The answer is incredibly quickly if we let go of judgment and shame, because most people get mired down in this quote of I'm fixing to, which is what, and that's the end of the quote, I'm fixing to. If we use, I'm a hillbilly, right? My family's from Appalachia, so I can use some of that weird language, but if we, the concept of I'm fixing to, it's just like what you said, I'm thinking about maybe considering getting ready to follow Ryan around the woods. That's like saying, I'm fixing to follow Ryan around, but you're not actually doing it. Yeah, that's you why know? I was
0: really careful to say, I'm considering mm-hmm. committing.
1: I'm fixing to. <laughs> so uh, that's my, my answer. I, and I would tell you that I answered the second question first and forgot the first question second.
0: Oh, your confidence level. Okay. But maybe that answers both.
1: Well, and to a certain extent it does, because if you enter, for me, um, and I, again, uh, uh, I love these conversations where I feel like I can say to people, I'm profoundly insecure. I am an introvert because I'm profoundly insecure. So that was a real issue to me because I was afraid of being wrong. And I felt like the way to win is be right. But the way to win is just get what you want. So you have to let go of judgment and shame. And so my confidence level was influenced by letting go of the notion of I have to be right and I also had to let go of macro commitment, and meaning I'm going I'm to climb the mountain. If I really dumb this down, the mountain is 29,000 feet high. I have to start with step one. And how do I get step one so simple I can't not do it? Right? How, and that to me is part of the achievement process of making better happen, is the recognition of this is important, but what's important is did we do the first step, yes or no?
2: Well, and that- that just takes us back to you know what you talked about yesterday and it's about losing losing business out of your own database and breaking it down so simply that it's just do one simple thing and you're gonna see drastic improvements take take a take an easy step basically
0: first step possible and, and one thing
2: I don't want to get lost here
0: is that you had achieved high level success within the mortgage industry. And along with that came a lot of financial success, I would imagine, which sets you up to be able to do things like take a risk and change your career or start something new, right? Where uh, a lot of people that have made lots of money make a career change or start a nonprofit or do something that where they really find their purpose in life. But without having that financial success, it makes it very difficult to do that. Would Mm -hmm. you agree with that statement?
1: I do with a condition, and that is in our, I do, and as a matter of fact, I ended up in the origination business because I had the financial ability to survive. Um, And so I made the decision years and years ago to even get in the business based on, I got some dough, I can survive, let's do this. Um, As I began to transition, I thought, I got some dough, I can support it, my practice is running, I got nine slots a week, I have some time, that's all true. Uh, And then I watched with great interest of your conversation with Dave Savage, because Dave and I, at the time, we're actually, may still be, we don't hang out, but we live really close together. And I watched, in this way, I bring up Dave Savage again, he had a conversation about the meltdown, right? That times got hard. Um, You know, my story was the same. I had almost 15,000 square feet of commercial space across three different states with zero Revenue. I mean, the market stopped. It, yeah. it, it didn't slow down. It stopped, and there was the time when we all realized, oh, well, this is going past zero for a period of time, and so in that, it sealed for me. I'm out. You know, this. I'm not going to do this, and I didn't have a springboard. And we did have to go to even the very most basic fundamental teachings. I had to apply to myself, and I had to share even with my wife. And I would say that giant success. I'm still married today through a, a really difficult time when a lot of people didn't make it because you get exposed when you take away the bandage of money. And so, uh, you know, I would tell you that 2006, unbelievable year. I never literally I never thought I'd make that much money in my life. 2007, darn near the same. 2008, not the same. Oh, yeah. right. <laughs> 2009, holy cow. What are we going to do here because I had committed To a different path. And one of those things, just last night, my wife and I were talking about an opportunity that was presented at that time. Come on in, Emory. An opportunity in, I would say, 2010 to come back to the industry in partnership with somebody I admire. I mean, that we still know today. I'm not going to out anything, but Mm -hmm. an opportunity to come back and say, just do this with me. And I said, no, I have to do this thing. Yet, had I just done that path, again, it would have been right back to very successful branch management and tons of money. And, you know, whatever, I didn't do it. Because I was committed to the development, the movement from we're here to here is what
0: excites me. Interesting. So, hey, Emery. Uh, Emery's coming on next. You're going you're to like him a lot. I love uh, it. Talk about accomplishing something crazy. This guy just got done doing the Pacific Crest Trail. That's what
1: you said. That's an so.
0: amazing deal. I love that. Um, well, I really like that answer um, for a couple different reasons. And one theme that's been kind of ongoing throughout this podcast with talking with people is uh, the economic collapse mm-hmm. caused by the mortgage industry. Uh I think is responsible for a lot of people coming back stronger, and a lot of industries coming back stronger. Because I've talked to a lot of people that lost a lot during that crash, and now these people are coming back uh, seasoned, wounded, and they are killing it. You see companies like Uber, and you see all these new startups and the technology and and everything. And I think a lot of that has to do with going through a really hard couple years as a country.
1: I think, uh, couldn't resonate with you more, and my analogy to that was, is that pre- pre-bust, right, pre-GFC, the global financial crisis meltdown, whatever we call it, we had this generation of people. They still live today, but those were the people, like my parents, who lived in the depression. And we would have said during that, up until the bust, we were like, ah, these people really have this outmoded depression era mindset. Mm -hmm. And I would tell you now, scar tissue is a real deal, right? So now I appreciate, I mean, my family grew up in Appalachia. My grandfather had a great job with AT&T. So he worked through the depression, but coal mining town and my dad said, my father said to me, his mother and father would give him and his brother a nickel to go stand in a bread line, And you know, that recognition of, Oh, I didn't get that until my wife and I sat around asking, what are we going to do here where you realize there's no piggy bank, there's nothing to break. All you have is your ability to hustle. What are we going to do here? Just like I could imagine people in the, in the depression, you can't get gas, you can't get food. What are you going to do here? And so I think scar tissue is real in that now we have a whole new generation of people that have lived through it again. You know, and, and I, would, I would say that it is extremely valuable for those that catch that message Maybe now we'll keep some powder dry. Maybe now we'll fight against consumerism. We're not. I mean, we're not doing well, but, but there's still hope, right? There's, I, I'm with you. I see a lot of people um, you know, making way more money. We've moved past in a lot of ways, you know, and it, I'm just, these are like charts, right? Lots of charts say we've advanced financially past the GFC, but we're still not saving any real money. We're still not doing anything major. And
0: you're starting to see the same things happen. People make the same mistakes hmm yeah 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 so
2: one, one thing i wanted to ask uh when you when you talked about you know climbing the mountain mm-hmm. it resonated with me with anybody on any journey f- for that matter where um, say a weight loss journey mm-hmm. i need to lose 60 pounds you lose 60 pounds you lose that 60 pounds and you don't actually feel any different you don't mm-hmm. feel like you thought you were going to feel um, so relating that to what you said, and then, you know, this is the hunt for success. So how is your definition of success mm. evolved through, you know, being a shoe salesman, being, you know.
0: You were a shoe salesman? I
1: started out as a shoe dog.
0: You at know, Nordstrom's?
1: No, I started out at a place called Birch's Fine Footwear, which was the evolution of Phil Knight's company in Eugene, Oregon. That oh. had So if you read the book Shoe Dog, I lived that. Really? Yeah, I started in the shoe
0: 70s. We'll bring that with me on our trip next week. Phil
1: Knight, Shoe Dog, great read. So there's there's a book plug, but Shoe Dog is a great story. And for me, it's also great because it was my life in Eugene. That, Bowerman still drove around in Eugene in the 70s. So and
0: Bowerman was the official title B- for a B- shoe salesman? Bill Bowerman.
1: No, Man. Bill Bowerman was Always Phil Knight's <laughs> partner.
2: Had and Field cross-country coach at University of Oregon.
1: Yeah, Bowerman is... He's got godlike yeah. in the track community. Gotcha. Yeah, he's more got, than Phil.
2: He's got a he's got a statue there at the at at the track, and
1: he's a big time. I would, um, you know, Ryan, to answer your to answer your question, um, if your goal is money, you will always be unfulfilled. You will always sing the song. Is that all there is? Because, in my opinion, money. It, at least for me, money money is the ever so much more so pill. You know, if you're whatever, fill in the blank, and present it with more money, you will be the evolution of that. You will be further down the path of that. Um, You know, that's why people who are broke that get a whole bunch of money tend to be broke again pretty quickly. Why? Because they are broke, right? That's that's who they are. I think the evolution is always fulfillment, right? You've got to move away from achievement. And, And this is me knocking on the door on my 55th birthday. I've been doing this almost 40 years. This is my path. And this was 2007. 2006 was a year of extraordinary achievement, but I wasn't fulfilled. And I couldn't even, I couldn't even articulate that to you at that time. But the, the concept was, I need to move towards fulfillment. And in the depths of, I want to say it was 2009 or early 2010, when presented with the opportunity to come back, that was it. It was like, uh, that will solve money, but I will not be happy doing that. And it will only be a period of time until I'm not doing it again. And so I'm not fulfilled. And I think that if we put that in perspective for everyone, I've not read the study, but I know it was a thing, right? And putting aside whether it really happened or not, there's an extraordinarily exclusive club in this world, um, and that would be the Astronauts Club, right? I think there's, what, 16 guys? 16 guys, they say, have seen the Earth rise from the moon, right? The view that nobody's seen. The Earth rise from the moon, 16 guys, and universally, they came back saying... Man, now what? I mean, talk about a lifetime of work. I kicked around and bounced in zero gravity. You know, I'm back. Now what? Stockbroker? Fly jet planes? I flew the lunar module. You know, whatever it is. If you think about the dude who flew Apollo 13 back, couldn't tell you his name right now. All I remember is the mission commander that says failure is not. An option, right? Tom Hanks. But he had another name, right? But all I'm saying is fulfillment. Those, What we realized as a country, even at that time, is we didn't prepare those people for the the next step after you've climbed the mountain. What, what will you do after that? Because if we're always conditioned to climb, well, after you've climbed the highest mountain, then what? And so I think that the answer is everybody should get so much more clear the star by which we guide today about what you want, what makes you happy, what is it you really want, based on everything you know right now, no judgment, no shame, you don't have to be right, what do you want that you would say, that, that makes me happy, because we're, most of us as a society, and I would just say as English-speaking Americans, we're focused on external things we've been conditioned to achieve for, which for most of us, we're not motivated by that really. And so, not achievement anymore fulfillment and that was the evolution that started in 2000 at the end of the mortgage business was I gotta get happy because I made a pile of money and we closed a lot of loans built a great team is that all there is yeah so um, that's the work now
0: well I really like that answer and I think everyone listening will be able to relate to that and within their industry and what they're doing
1: yeah I think it's universal I believe it it goes across all industry
0: what would your um, uh, grandfather and dad say would they agree with you? Because uh-huh. that generation, it was well. All that's great. Now go to work and make some money. Right, work yep. hard. Uh, my parents always used to say, uh, "You're never gonna love your job. Right. right? You're never gonna. You're not supposed to like your job. Right? You got to work hard. It's called work. It's called work. Right? <laughs> right? So maybe we we live in a time in our society where we have that luxury of looking for fulfillment rather than working our ass off. Mm-hmm. Well, not that the two don't go hand in hand because they absolutely do mm-hmm. but uh, well, I mean, what would you think your, your dad and grandfather would say?
1: So I didn't get a, a chance to spend a lot of time with my granddad And uh, but my dad um, who so I would say that I learned at an early age and plus I was a kid of the early 60s so there was still part of that hard work ethos that existed the notion of it's your responsibility to give more than you were hired for, meaning show up early, work hard all day, uh, don't give up, do a good job, you know, meaning don't mail it in, do the best you can. Uh, That was conditioned in my dad, or from my father in me forever, you know, that, uh, but but not a zealot, you know, not, he wasn't sold out, but he was always, the commentary was don't be the guy that's leaning on the shovel. don't be the guy who is just mailing it in. You know, there's, you're, you're responsible to do your best. Take do some pride in your, your work ethic. Absolutely. And work ethic was a conversation that he defined. I mean, he, he defined that you will work. That's, that's what you do. And I feel very fortunate, by the way, that as a high school student, and my dad spent 14 years in secondary education, so he was a believer in college, right? He spent 14 years in college. He made it very clear to me, he said, listen, when you graduate from high school, son, I just, you know, I love you and whatever, but there's three things that are gonna happen when you graduate. And that is, you are going to go get a job and live here and pay rent. You're gonna go get a job and live on your own, in which case you're out of my house, or you're gonna go to school and be a good student. And as long as you are, I will support you, but you're not gonna lay on my couch and not work. I'm just not gonna let you do it. So just so you know, And, you know, he told me that well in advance in the the metaphor that he gave is, you know, at graduation, there's a lunch bucket and a suitcase on the porch, pick one, (laughs) you know? And so for me, (laughs) I've told that story to other people and they're like, oh my gosh, that's so harsh. And I felt like I was clarifying. Yeah. It was very clear. And even my wife, we had conversations in her family of like, that's the cruelest thing ever. But, you know, we had a family member who wasn't given that clarity and they floundered for 10 years moving in and out of home, and mom's making sandwiches for grown-ass men. And I'm like, no, we got to take care of this stuff ourselves. So that, to me, was part of that work ethic that was uh, influenced by the depression. I mean, there are other cats that will take your job if you're not willing to work. And unfortunately, that's gone in our society right now. and I, And that's For me, I feel like this is the opportunity for everybody. As as sad as it is in America, uh, again, no politics, no judgment, no shame. My definition, I like cleanest dirty shirt in the laundry, right? Nothing's perfect here, but this is the cleanest dirty shirt in the laundry. The truth of the matter is the bar is so low, people will tunnel under it right now. So if you're willing to simply step over, you're going to advance. You're going to rise. You're going to shine. And I feel like to work anymore is not even hard. You know, it used to be. Six days, 15 hours. I feel like if you put in an honest 25 right now, you're outworking everybody else.
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: The bar is low, man. And so I and I don't mean to get myself worked up, but that's just the way I see it. It's people don't know how to work. They have no idea what work means I anymore. I think
0: people people are start I mean at least the people I surround myself with all feel the same way.
1: Definitely. And I don't mean to I, I would want your listeners to know. I don't mean everybody. Right, I, We see the outliers, and I know there are a multitude of people who get up early, stay up late. But it's and our cultural hard. mindset, yeah, for sure. Right? How do I get more for less yeah. has become different than, never thought I'd say this, but the Kennedy quote was, ask not what my country can do for me, but what can I do for my country? We've lost that.
0: Yeah, well, and you look at... Other countries, and this may—I may be called stereotyping—but like a lot of people feel that way about Japan now, right? Their culture right. and their work ethic and the way they raise their kids. Mm-hmm. So it is kind of sad that as a country we've lost that uh, reputation in the world. I think.
1: I think we're laughed at, frankly. Yeah. I think they look at us and go,
0: <laughs> "They're soft, and we will kill you." Yeah. You so know,
1: that's, we will just outwork you. That's all it is.
0: How do we fix it? I don't know. Maybe it starts with the generations that are having kids now like ryan and i going through the collapse and then um raising our kids the right way you know and ryan and i we're good friends and we work together and we talk about it all the time and, and share stories of uh starting with making your kid clean your room right you know ryan was talking about it. Uh, wake up every day every day and uh make your bed with your five make your five-year-old's bed with them and instill that at a young age and maybe the next generation, people that are sitting here having a conversation like this, we've kind of impacted, our generation has impacted the culture, hopefully.
1: There's an opportunity for us to do that, right? I, and I agree with you. I, I, even looking back now, my, you know my daughter's 18 years old. She's making college plans and application. It's almost like, okay, well, the foundation has been set. She chose to be very diligent. My boy, 16 years old, has chosen not to be very diligent. He's um, And by the way, I think it is the evolution of my dad saying, someday I hope you have a son exactly like you. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so may that be your blessing, son. Yeah. And so I now have a boy who's just like me in that he's in an age right now where cleaning his room and doing his work and all that sort of stuff. Oh, that last night, I, he used boring in a sentence probably 10 times. You know, just, I'm bored. This is boring. I don't want to do it. It's such a boring blah, blah, blah. And I've already exhausted myself with, no, man, you're going to get up and do it until we reach the point of I'm going to crush you to do it. That's not fulfilling and isn't going to work. And that was part of my testimony of my relationship with my dad. And I just never wanted to be that with my boy. But the evolution of that is he'll still leave crap on his floor. And there's a lot of that story that is a very, very painful memory from my childhood to where I literally shared the story with him. Of Every time I see you, your room, it reminds me of one of the worst memories I have. That's what your messy room does for me. Pick up your stuff. And he still doesn't do it.
0: <laughs> so, well, uh, my dad comes over to my house at least once a week, and he comes over and he sits there on the couch and has a big grin at ear to ear because he's sitting there watching me get tortured mm-hmm. by our five-year-old little girl. Mm-hmm. And she's really, really good. But she tortures me, and my dad, I can tell, we don't, he hasn't said it, but... I can tell he gets a tremendous
2: amount of enjoyment. That's the only reason he comes over. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he's there is just to
0: watch it play yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I got lots of stories uh, there. But um, uh, so making better happen. Yeah. Um, how, uh, you talked briefly about having sure. the, the idea of the company and the direction you wanted to go. How did you get that name? Where are you at today? And where are you going?
1: Cool. Uh, and, and so the name came about, um, interestingly, I, I created a lot of iterations of what is this, uh, and words matter to me. I, I'm, I'm actually prefacing this whole deal with the language and words actually matter because what I've known, or what I've come to know now, when people say, how do I, to me, what they're actually saying is, what do I say, right? I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not an engineer. I don't do physical product, so people don't come to me and say, Tom, how do I, and I would provide them a roadmap or a structure or anything like that. What do I say? So in the context of making better happen, as we transitioned, I listened to my wife say to a person one time, they say, what does your hubby do? And she starts to go, well, he, because this is, I was teaching, I was training, coaching, but I wasn't an originator anymore. And I'd always been, a sales guy from the time I was 15 years old a manager too but you know that's you're just a sales guy so that was easy for her but when i quit doing that this question was posed to my wife what does your hubby do and she's like well he uh, well i you'd have to ask him <laughs> you know she couldn't even articulate and and i just happened to say i'm pretty passionate when somebody says to me i'm here and i want to get to here they say, I want to make better happen in my life. I'm pretty, hap- I'm pretty passionate about helping them do that because I'm really good at that. And I actually believe there's a simple science to that. So Cody, the long answer is, I just said it a few times. I'm really passionate about this process of making better happen. And so I just rebranded the company, even though it's kind of goofy. What do you mean making better happen? And my answer to that is everybody in whatever area would say, I'm here. We generally hold our hand around our belt and we say, we want to get to here. And that can be in business and money in our family, in our relationships, in our self, right? I'm my physical self. I need to lose 40 pounds. That's making better. I'm here. I want to get to here. You can maybe do it backwards. I'm here. I want to get to here. That's weight loss, right? But, and all of that is the story of my life. That's my tapestry. I mean, I've been I'm very broken in many of those things, in business, money, family, relationship, self. I mean, I've been there. And I am very passionate to help people begin to simply start making better happen and to me it's I'm going back to the statement of I want to give people the words because as we talked about one of the things you can work on is what you say the words we say to our your to each other and the words we say to ourselves and typically the process of change near as I can tell again I'm not an expert I've just been at it a long time the process of change begins with the clear articulation of the obvious truth And that's my distillation of even um, Veritas, Harvard's motto, get clear about what you want, right? The star by which you guide, systematically narrow. So many people in recovery, and I mean, as a 12 step process, um, that's, you know, people are surprised to know that's a part of my life. And sometimes they would say, Tom, you'd never know my pain. I'm like, "Eh, try me out, right? I mean, if, but, but step one begins with the articulation. Again, the words, I admit that I have a problem, I'm powerless. I admit it's a it's a spoken articulation. So for me, the process of making better happen begins with the clear admission of the obvious truth and the and the next iteration is based on what you don't want, tell me what you do want. And it's not that you need to tell me, Cody. It's that you have to tell yourself. You know so it all begins with words. The process to me of making better happen is the articulation of what I want so that we can simply move to quick action. Five iterations, according to Doug, for me, it's three wins quickly. That's my language of you got to win three times because even other people in the personal development realm would say you've got to get momentum on your side. All that's true. That, by the way, in, in, my, in, in my sharing of my life, there's a word for that. It's called inertia. You know, that's a vocabulary word for me is inertia. You got to build inertia. Most people all are, well, we are all in motion. No one's static. We're all in motion, and in order to create change, we have to do business with inertia. Um, it's actually the victory, by the way. Inertia is the victory, but, so I'm, I'm going really fast here on what is really content, but the story of making better happen was I believe that people will say, I want a better business. Okay, cool, that's actually very simple, but the reason you don't have a better business is buried someplace else, and so the clear articulation is if you had a better business, what would you have then? And most people would say, well, duh, more money, right? So then the next question is, Cody, if you had more money, what would you spend it on? What would you do with that money? And most people haven't thought that far forward. But what I believe, again, just in experience, will spend that money on family, relationships, and self. So we have to make the emotional connection. I work for money to have, and fill in the blank. Those are all words. And so when people come to me and say, how do I, I believe they're asking me for words. That's all I know. So the process of making better happen is, um, and now what we've built in making better happen is strategy, content, tools, and training to help people say, I'm here and I want to go to here. And in that virtuous circle, business, money, family, relationships, self, I would tell you it works in either direction, in or anywhere just like I heard a ton of testimony when we were together yesterday of three fellas who started to tell, tell me, my business is blown up. Why is that? Because combined, we've lost 158 pounds, right? So, and that's part of my story of, I just couldn't talk about making better happen on stage anymore as fluffy, right? I was 240 pounds, blowing out 38s, realizing I got to go buy something that begins with a 40. Enough! I'm not going to do that anymore. And I had to tell myself, I had to begin to say, what is the best outcome possible? What do I say to myself that I believe? And we began to create um, a, a new way of teaching and training and coaching. And so
0: I love that. I love giving people like myself the words or tools, words to say to yourself. I think that's a big thing. And, that's something maybe I've gotten away from a little bit is that self-affirmations. Are you a believer in self-affirmations?
1: I am so much a believer that I would tell it this way, you know, that, that one of the things we can work on, if number one is mindset, number three is actions, number two is the things we say or, or conversations, right? We can work on conversations. I believe the most powerful influence in our lives, I was going to say you, but I don't want it to be too intense. For all of us, the most powerful influence in our life is what we say to ourselves, that we believe, what we say to ourselves that we believe. And most people don't evaluate that. Most people don't have a framework to evaluate that. But I would tell you that everything, near as I can tell, again, I'm just Tom, right? I'm not an expert, it's what I'm saying. But everything we have attracted to ourselves today is the result of what we've said to ourselves that we believe.
0: How cool would it be? And, And I don't think we're too far from this, is having the technology, record your thoughts, mm. right? I mean, imagine if you could, unknowing, record what you're saying to yourself and then mm-hmm. play that back. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, I, I'm just putting myself in that position if I'd be shocked at what I'm saying to myself.
1: I think we all would. We have to, we have to listen. And I mean, for me, this is not new, right? I, I haven't developed anything new. I think the, the origin of some of that what we say to ourselves that we believe, I mean, Henry Ford was the guy that said, whether you believe you can or you can't. You're right. It was Earl Nightingale mm-hmm. that said, "It is the strangest secret. We tend to become that which we think about." So for me, I just want to take. I just want to be clear that the most powerful influence in your life is what you say to yourself that you believe. I could never do that, right? If you that is a quote. Oh, I could never do that. Ironically, that's true. You never. Will. Oh, we can do that. Ironically, that's true. I and so, I think we have to become. This isn't militant and corrective. All change begins with awareness, right? Just become aware of what you're saying to yourself that you believe. And for me, I've had to have people like what you're saying. I've submitted myself to people who listen to my jive, for lack of a better word, right? I'm a persuasive. I believe I'm pretty persuasive. I have persuaded myself. And I've had people who i allowed them to say to me, is that absolutely true, Tom? Because here's what you said, is that true? Can you even know that's true? What if it wasn't true? What would that sound like? Can you show me any evidence in your life that the opposite statement is actually true? So, you know, and, and that to me was, was yeah. the metaphor, was the mind blow that I just went, holy crap. And I've, I've spent my late 40s and my early 50s evaluating, for lack of a better word, the shit I bought and believed and said to myself over and over again because of, and I would say this positive and negative, because of parents, teachers, mentors, people you work with, talking heads, books you read. I just want people to become intentional about what they think and what they say. And by the way, when you said, wouldn't it be cool if we could record your thoughts? All of us interpret our thoughts typically. Let me, let me say it another way. I believe most of us interpret our thoughts as words so words matter we don't we make association through vocabulary so for me words matter and I want to help everybody tell a different story tell the story of what you want to evaluate in total freedom that's what matters to me
0: and like the harmony we talked about in the beginning that's something you have to work on Mm -hmm. you have to be aware you have to practice and exercise that to get better at it right yeah of course correct uh, you said inertia is the victory. What did you mean?
1: So inertia is the victory. So most people, if we understand Newtonian physics, and I say um, a body at rest tends to what? You, did you, stay at rest. You're not, you're and right, just, a body gotta, in motion tends moving. to stay in motion. Yeah, right? It's so, that commercial. It's right, that, it is. Right? there. I just noticed the other day there's yeah. a commercial on Newton Newton's first law. Yeah. So that's the physical understanding of inertia. But I want to help us. My definition of inertia is, is a little bit different in that Newtonian physics doesn't make sense in personal development, except it does, and that is that the problem, so this is my quote, and, and this is, I learned from, from my mentor Todd, the problem becomes the solution when results start to compound, and what do I mean by that? Me say so, that again? Yeah, the problem is actually the solution when the results start to compound, so inertia, let's just take money, um, money's a great Easy way because we can measure, right? Pennies and dollars and that sort of stuff. And so if you were to say, Tom, what's the biggest problem with money in this country? Or what could we all do right now to have more money? Well, it's so obvious. Number one, stop spending more than you make. That's hard. So let's set that aside. And let's say we can begin to tell a new story because most people say to themselves, I never have enough money. I can never save money. Those are the words. So they don't. But if we can start to say, I can save money. I saved a penny. So inertia, in this case, their inertia is I can save no, more, no money. I'm totally unsuccessful with money. I never have money. I live in constant scarcity. Those are all reinforcements of an ideal around money. I don't have money. I can't save money. Until we do save money. But they're told, well, you've got to save 250 bucks for retirement. Well, they don't have 250 bucks, because, you know, these things are 2 to $8. Thank whatever. you, by the way. You're welcome. By the way, that's <laughs> a cheap one. And sorry, Ryan. Um, but, I, but here's the deal. We save one penny. And then we save another penny. And then we save another penny. And then we earn some interest. Right? And I mean, these are metaphors for tiny chunks. So simple, you can't not do it. So the problem was, I don't have any money until I get a tiny, tiny amount of money and the inertia begins to build where you're saying, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And for me, that's three wins quickly. We have to be able to say, in inertia, we're on a course until we begin to subtly act And do something slightly different. So inertia is the problem. I'm on a path that I don't want on. That becomes the solution when the results start to compound, meaning I'm going to start turning this giant ship. But you're never going to take a UE. The lottery winner is never prepared mentally to have money. They're prepared to fail.
0: I'm prepared to be that person.
1: I love it, right? I'm prepared, just saying. So but I'm the guy who says I'm totally prepared and I never buy a ticket. So with that said, That's what I mean by inertia. It can be the same in personal development, in your physical self. You know, it's like, oh, I got to do, doctor says I need to do 10 push-ups, can't do push-ups. Okay, well inertia says, let's start with what you can do. Maybe we need to stand against the wall and do one. Can we do that? Life depending on it, can we do that? Simply start. And I know I'm really, you know, I I feel cognizant that I may be pushing for time here, but the, the conversation for me with everybody is, Don't overthink this, and don't set yourself up for this ideal that somebody has told you. Let's simply start with one push-up on the wall if we need to instead of, you know, the the ideal that years ago Ryan said to me, well, you know, every time I go past the bathtub, I put my feet on the edge of the bathtub, and I do them inverted, and I'm like, okay, that's cool. Let's get there one day, Um, you know, and so, uh, but nobody can start there, right? That's, there's too much inertia in another direction, but now Ryan's story is, I can do 75 inverted push-ups off the bathtub, and I do it every time I walk past the tub. That's now his inertia path, and that also now has dictated his business, his money, his family, and his relationships, because he has a new story to tell, that, and maybe that's fulfilling for him.
2: Well, and I told you to start with five. Right. And you did that, and now you're a black belt. So <laughs> Look I'm, what happened, right? I'm going to take some credit there. Well, yeah, <laughs> and now you're a black belt, and you're just
0: getting started, according to the Taekwondo. Right? Yeah. It's grade school. Congra- this is first congratulations. grade. So. <laughs> um, so how can people get in contact with you? What kind of services can people uh, ask you for? What can you provide people? And, and uh, now's your time to plug. I love that. Well, first of Uh, all. And help us pull up the right website.
1: Well, uh, you know, there are several different, in iteration right now, that old, um, I would tell you that the best way to reach me is tom at mbhappen, like makingbetterhappen.com. Simple email, um, tom at mbhappen.com. And that website will probably redirect to um, the old Making Better Happen site. So what can we do? And within Making Better Happen, we've done a lot of things. And so part of that is consulting, training, coaching. Um, you met Kevin yesterday, that part of Kevin's Kevin McCarthy's speaker story is he came to me saying, I'm here and I need to get to here. And and you heard the circumstances of his life. And and he said, I need somebody who to believes in me. And I asked him, tell me what that looks like, right? Let me hear your story. And he began to say, this is what that looks like for me. Now, that, that path began not that long ago to where he's began to Produce at a very, very high level. So, for anybody that says, "How do we engage with you?" Um, reach out to me in that context. If you have a platform that you want to develop, if you have a a book you want to be published through, um, those are the services that even myself or Kevin or others within the organization we've done a lot of project management. People say, "Okay, how's this? How's this making better happen philosophy work in project management?" You know, and that's we have another member of the team that's. Um, In process people, he is a Six Sigma black belt. He is a, you know, he's that type of engineering minded, MBA minded, he's a UCLA MBA. Absolute walking assassin at process development. So that's, um, you know, another component of the organization. I'm not that guy. So we knew developmentally, we need that person on the team. So the Making Better Happen team, everywhere from, how do I look and appear online? How do I look and appear in print, graphics, online presence, that's a part of the service. Um, coaching and mentoring, while I do very little bit of that, very little of that myself anymore, I do that at a, at a, an, a level where we can influence a lot of people, um, we have people on the team that can do that. So um, you know, I would say, if you feel like you're here and you wanna get to here, we have some direct experience and people should reach out to me in that way if they just wanna learn more.
0: Perfect, so the best way is an email. Yeah. I highly encourage, I mean, I'm so excited to go back and listen to this podcast again so I can take away everything we said and apply it. And, and I love that, uh, what you say to yourself matters. And so, um, so yeah, reach out to Tom, Tom lot on the table still. I hope you want to come back sometime and, and pick up where we left off. I'd love that. Uh, this has been awesome. So I feel
1: the same way. Thanks for the invitation. I mean, to get together with you guys in this place is a powerful deal for me. So,
0: well, good. Well, thank you. That means a lot. Um, thehuntforsuccess.com uh excuse me ryan you didn't catch me thehuntforsuccesspodcast.com there you go is up and running um so uh jump on there um listen to some of our old podcasts uh, the hunt for success podcast is our instagram handle yep and on facebook yep um and so, on itunes and on itunes and so on we're youtube and on youtube look us up and live audience No, we don't have a live audience. We got one. We have one. We have one. You should cheer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thank you very
1: much.